Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. I once had somebody tell me who I really, really looked up to early days tell me that it's not about that women have never played the game. It's that when they start commentating, the tone of their voice starts at this level, which is, you know, quite high, whereas a bloke starts at this level. So when they get excited, it gets really hard to listen to. And I remember listening to that as one of my heroes telling me that, thinking, oh, that sounds scientifically viable, you know. And I always say there's these things that you realise so many times when you're being discriminated against. And then there's only so many times that you only realise it in hindsight, that you go, oh, wow. And welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today we're joined by Nerily Meadows, one of the country's leading sports commentators and television presenters. 2019 was a pivotal year for Nerily. In October, after a decade with the Fox Sports Network where she hosted Game Day Live, AFL Tonight and On The Mark, she was told that she no longer had a job, a decision that stunned the football and media worlds alike. Here, we talk to Nerily about the highlights of working her way up in a male-dominated industry, how she's coping with the new shape of her work, and what comes after brutal rejection. We hope you enjoy her wit and her candour as much as we did in this chat. Here's Nerily. Nerily Meadows, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. Thanks so much for having me. It's taken a couple of weeks for us to get you on because you've been at the Super Bowl. Sorry, I was a bit (laughs) busy just living a dream. (laughs) We've been so excited to get you on. Our first question is the same every week. We briefed you just before we jumped on mic. What are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you'd recommend to other women? So I just finished on the weekend reading The Resilience Project by a friend of mine, Hugh Van Kylenberg. So he is amazing and a lot of people probably would have heard of him 
him already, but particularly with me, with a time of change at the moment, he sent me a copy of his book and yeah, I've just found it really helpful of just that old urging you on to chase your dreams and all those sort of things that sometimes you just need a bit of a boost, but he's just got some really wonderful life lessons that I think everyone can adapt to their own way of life. So He's massive at the moment. He does a lot with sporting clubs as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he has for quite some time. So yeah. sometimes we get together and just talk and compare notes on how we find different athletes and things. <laughs> um, no, he's, yeah, he's phenomenal. He's a teacher by trade and he's used all of those things to try and make the world a better place, which sounds really, really corny, but I just think it's pretty wonderful. No, it's lovely. He also has a really great podcast that I will just recommend off the back of that recommendation because he's done some wonderful interviews too. And Neralee, the second question we always ask is, what was your childhood like? You grew up in country WA in a mining town called Cooley. Is that right? Collie, yeah. Oh, I was so close. <laughs> like, you know what? We- <laughs> it was pretty Cooley. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> Cooley and Collie. So Collie is in like border Collie. Yes, Great. as in Border Collies. What was it like there? It was an amazing town to grow up in because it was really sports focused. So I had an unbelievable upbringing. We had a hobby farm because my dad came from a farming background. And so he was a doctor, but he wanted to keep having that little farming feel. So we had a hobby farm on the river. We had, he just built us everything from scratch, basically. So we had a cricket pitch and a basketball court and a, like just not a fancy one, but a, you know, a cement one that if we wanted something, he sort of just got it done. He was really quiet, but always overachieved in life. And yeah, so we had this amazing space and bushland and just grew up. I grew up with pet sheep. Um, <laughs> yeah, so and, and birds and things like that. Never had the orthodox cats and dogs. <laughs> Yeah, so I <laughs> did had you this, like name the sheep? Or? Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> the first one's called Cindy, um, and then the second one was called Bowie. So Cindy was a, a abandoned twin. So the mum only wanted the boy twin. Story of our lives, right? <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, the twin, we used to have a, a bathtub, uh, an old bathtub that we used as a trough that the sheep would go and drink out of. Oh I'm, pro- I'm proper country girls. And <laughs> basically the, this is really sad, Cindy would go up to the trough and try and feed out of it like it was its mum's. Uh, yeah, so this poor little sheep was not getting oh. any, yeah, or lamb was not getting any nutrients. Look at your faces. You're like breaking. Um, <laughs> were these, were they just be like walking throughout your house I no no no. we have okay, like good. this massive orchard what down the hallway <laughs> i was just thinking i'm like thinking michelle's never bathtub. been to the country <laughs> <laughs> they're outside <City> girls. <laughs> so yeah i uh we used to get a, a milk bottle and hand feed them and i used to call them and they'd run to me you want to hear the sheep call don't you <laughs> i mean you're gonna give How it do to you us call to you? them <gasps> Shut what? the fuck up. Did you actually? <laughs> I don't know if she's doing this thing that like... It, Country girls do to yeah. scare city girls. <laughs> like Australians do to Americans being like, yes, we ride kangaroos. Like, do you actually call the sheeps like that? Yeah. Oh my God. We were wrong. <laughs> she did. And they'd run to you and then they'd live in a little kennel. And then the other one was Bowie who was just born a bit sick. So we had to bring her back to life. So oh my God. they grew up to be... Yeah. Real deal country girl. Yeah. Tell us about your relationship with sport through this time. Like you obviously had an incredible amount of space to be able to play with and you had two older brothers. Did you guys bond over sport? Absolutely. And I think my love of sports started because I wanted to fit in with them. So I used to sit and draw NBA logos when I was a little kid because I wanted to impress my brothers and I used to want to play cricket with them all the time in the backyard and all those sorts of things. And then I, I just became a real genuine love and I remember vividly being sort of, I was like six, seven, eight, that sort of age and saying to my, you know, watching the cricket and saying to my dad, hey, what's LBW? Because 
I just realized that girls never had those inherent conversations and parents never had those conversations with their kids. So it always had to be the girl that would ask the questions and show the interest. And then, you know, dad, and it wasn't, it wasn't because he was being discriminatory. It was just the way things were. And so, yeah, dad would sit down and tell, and, you know, tell me, and we'd often watch the footy together and all those sorts of things. So I ended up playing soccer with all the boys. I was the only girl in the team and it got to an age where they clashed. So I'd play half a game of netball and then run on, over to the soccer oh. ground oh. and play half a game of soccer. And yeah, so I just, I loved hanging out with my brothers. It was just the best thing in the world. So moving on a little bit from childhood, you go through high school, you then go to Curtin University and you also do, was it a diploma of broadcasting as well on top of what you did at Curtin? Yeah. So I, I basically I did three years at Curtin with six months overseas in Tennessee in the States because I'm one of the college experience. And then, yeah, came back and did a year post-grad diploma in, in broadcasting at WAPA. What pulled you to do that? Well, I knew at like 14 years of age what I wanted to do. So, and I was in the country town and before that I wanted to play basketball for Australia, but I was short, slow and not, you know, <laughs> very talented to be perfectly Just honest. Hurdles. I, was, I was the old head and heart, really <laughs> filled with head and heart. But yeah, so I peaked at sort of 14, broke my collarbone twice and mum was a psychologist. And so I had that as an interest first and then I decided I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. Mm. And so I was 14 when I decided that mum and I sat down and said okay well what's the best way to go about it and journalism at Curtin was one of the strongest ones and I just geared it towards sport even though a lot of the lecturers told me not to. One Um, thing that I find interesting about this though is that so many people go into journalism or want to do broadcasting but actually getting your foot in the door is an entirely different equation. Did you find that it was really difficult to do that and then I was really lucky because at WAPA you you get access to broadcasters, world-class broadcasters. So at the time that I was there, it was Peter Holland and Joe McManus. Um, so Peter Holland, a lot of people may remember him from ABC, particularly in Western Australia, but and Joe McManus, who's just a, a gun over in, in Perth, and she has more connections than anyone I know in that place. And I remember getting quite angry at her because – she organised for me to do work experience at Channel 7 in Perth and I and she was convinced I was, you know, going to get a job out of it. And I was almost a bit annoyed with her because I was like, stop putting this pressure on me. It's not <laughs> going to happen. Most people have to go back to the country and rah, rah, rah. And then, of course, she was right. And she's one of the strongest women I've ever met in my life. And she's been through just an unimaginable amount. She's lost her husband. She's lost one of her sons. She is the most resilient person I've ever met in my life, but she always has your back no matter what she's going through. And yeah, it was her backing that that made Channel 7 give me a chance and away we went. Just going back a little bit, I'm wondering for like a young country girl in in WA from a mining town thinking, I am going to do sports journalism. I'm going to be a sports broadcaster. Did you see many other women doing that kind of job? Was it a naivety that was kind of really beautiful in that scenario? No, I mean, I I loved... Joe Griggs and, and Karen Ty and awesome to see Karen Ty just recently put into the you know a lifetime award for for the Australian Sports Commission because it was her voice that I listened to and went oh it's possible and now I wonder if there was more female commentators when I was a kid I wonder whether that was something that I would have been more interested in I just always assumed it was because I didn't have the skill set and I once had somebody tell me who I really really looked up to early days tell me that it's not about that women have never played the game it's that when they start commentating their voice you know the tone of their voice starts at this level which is you know quite high whereas a bloke starts at this level so when they get excited it gets really hard to 
listen to. And I remember listening to that as one of my heroes telling me that, thinking, oh, that sounds scientifically viable, you know, and and it stuck with me. And I always say there's these things that you realise so many times when you're being discriminated against and then there's only so many times that you only realise it in hindsight that you go, Mm. oh, wow, I didn't think that that was that. I just, you know, and... So I wonder now, and to go off on a tangent, my my niece just had her eighth birthday and she I organised for her eighth birthday. She's only a Fremantle supporter because of me. Everyone else in the family is West Coast. <laughs> oh, huge rivals then. Yeah, and they had their first ever Western Derby and it happened to fall on her eighth birthday. And so Cara Antonio, the, the captain of the Freo Dockers, organised for Miller, my niece, to run out as the little mascot through the banner. And she was so nervous, but she did it. And I cried and I was so proud and... I, there's a photo of her in the race with like game face on, but she's looking up at Kara in awe. And I just thought the world is so different now compared mm-hmm. to what we grew up in. And I know that's what our parents must say as well, but it just makes me so excited for my niece that she's growing up in that world. Mm. What have been the challenging aspects of coming through such a male dominated industry? I mean, for the most part, I've had just the best time of my life, but there are still you know, those situations that I just think people just don't realise the day-to-day things that women go through, particularly Mm -hmm. in a male-dominated industry. And, you know, there'll be times where you'll rock up to a sporting event and the female toilets won't be opened, you know, like it's just basic stuff that you'd have to point out to people. But for the most part, I've had a really positive experience. But yeah, I think the main thing that I always say is when a woman does say something, please just listen to her because we tend not to. Mm. So when we do actually say something, it's usually there's a good reason for it. Well, it's so easy to feel like naggers as well, that if you do point out something that's wrong or something that is just easily fixable but needs to be fixed, you somehow feel annoying almost. And to have that mirrored back to you makes it even more difficult to continue speaking up when things keep popping up, right? Yeah. Well, it's that old thing that men are bosses and women are bossy. If a man walks into a room and says, this is the way that we're going to do it, you know, okay. If a woman says, this is the way that we're going to do it, it's like, all right, settle down. She thinks a lot of herself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So... It is so obvious that you love your job, but what I wanted to do very quickly is read a quote of yours back to you about this, because we've got here very quickly, so I'm going to do it anyway, about the trickiest aspects of working in a male-dominated industry. And it doesn't just have to be sport. I know that there are a lot of women listening who would experience a similar thing. And you made comment on Chris Gale, who is a West Indian cricket star, who made some pretty gross comments to Mel McLaughlin on, on camera a couple of years ago. And you said, he's a repeat offender and he does it purely to humiliate that person in the public arena. He does it constantly and he he has done it over a number of years. You can say that Chris Gale is never going to change. That's fine and he probably won't. But what should change is the reaction to what Chris Gale does. It's not funny. It's just not. Why do you choose to be loud about this then with everything that we've just spoken about how, you know, we do consider men to be bosses and women to be bossy, like knowing that people might not like what you have to say and find you unlikable because of it? That's one of the rare times that I have and it was one of the hardest experiences I've gone through and it was for a lot of the girls who chose to speak up at that time. The main reason why I chose to speak up was because Mel's a mate of mine and she was going through a lot as well herself and at the end of the day, you stand up for your mates and you back your mates in. And that's my main motivation for what happened on that particular occasion. And the other thing that I did say at the time was I love watching Chris Gale play. I love that he's an entertainer. He is an entertaining human being as well. He, You can be entertaining without being offensive. And he doesn't need to put women in the positions that he does and 
yeah, and he's played at that you know point in time as well. He'd played international cricket for a long time, so he knew that there are cultural differences around the world and all those sorts of things. And it just frustrates me because most most of the girls in in the industry that we're in, we're so up for having a laugh. And I, you know, I say in a prayer, we all do. Like it's, oh that's, that's isn't that absurd though that we need to be like we can joke, like we have a sense of humour. <laughs> yeah, and the, but that's what I mean when we say it's gone too far. Don't get defensive. Just say. Oh God, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean to. Mm. And then that's it. It's end of. Mm. We're not going to bang on about it or anything like that. It was just a particular occasion where I just think, well, probably enough's enough because it had happened to all of us. It, like he, he was. It, it had happened to every single woman in Australia who had ever done an interview with him live on air. It really had. It happened to me. It happened. To, you know, so many girls, and. So I just th- I thought it was time where I was like, come on, can we just stop laughing now? Because it just feels a bit feels a bit high school. Yeah. Like, it's not it's just not funny. What do you do in the hours after you give a statement like that or a quote like that? Do you lie awake at night? Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I was about to say cuz some on rare occasion we have found ourselves in a bit of a media storm, which is not ideal. It's never and fun being in the middle of a category 5 storm as uh, yeah. yeah. What do you do? Do you take yourself off social media? Do you just surround yourself with family and friends or do you want to look at what's out there and do you need to know what's happening? I tend to bunker down a little bit when I'm at the centre of something. And I've been really lucky that I get a lot of support from the public as well. And some of, in some of my darkest moments, I've been surrounded by love by people I've never met. So I'm so fortunate in that space. Mm. But I tend to go to my brother's. I tend to go to my parents. My theory is if my parents are still proud of me, then I, you know, I must have done something okay. But it's hard in those situations because as you, I'm sure you girls have found out that people tend to use things against you that you've said in the past that it's just completely either taken out of context or, you know, it's just not the same, same. (laughs) And so it is, yeah, it is a challenge at those times. And I think for anyone who's been through those sorts of things, but there, yeah, there are media storms that you sort of that you've done the wrong thing, and then there are media storms where you feel like you've done the right thing, but you're still copying it, and that's pretty hard. But that was a really challenging time for a lot of people that stood up in in that moment. Do you feel proud when you look back at it? I hate talking about it to be honest, because mm. it just reminds me of a lot of yeah. Um, it was it was it was tough, and I don't I don't ever want to be the person that makes somebody else feel bad as well mm. so I I feel yeah I don't like pointing out negative things mm. I don't te- I don't want to be that person but yeah if if you don't you know one of my brothers often says that there's no point having a platform if you don't use it and so at times in my career where I've just gone I don't I kind of want to give up now like it all feels a bit hard I've reminded myself that if people like me, people like you, you know, other women out there doing extraordinary jobs in completely other different areas. If we don't keep going when when it gets tough, then the next lot of girls are going to have to push through it and that's not fair. So somebody's got to, you know, speak up, do it at some point. You've touched on your brothers a couple of times now and it seems like they play a really pivotal role in your life. Why do you go to your brothers first? What is it about them that keeps you grounded and positive and kind of gives you an outside perspective on what's going on? So I've got two brothers. My oldest brother, Ross, he's very protective, always was. And he, I feel like he's the reason why I love sport because his passion was so great for it that I just, yeah, I was so 
just so proud of him. He eventually made his um, debut for the Kookaburras as a goalkeeper for Australia, and that was like the proudest day of my life until <laughs> his daughter ran through as a mascot of Fremantle, <laughs> and now that's the proudest day of my life. <laughs> and my, my other brother, Ian, is an actor, and he gives me hard truths. He is the one person in my life who I rely upon to be really brutally honest with me. And sometimes I disagree, but more often than not, even if you're defensive in the moment, which I think most people are when you get that sort of feedback, I I will always go back and think about it and go, yeah, no, he's right or this is – I'm going to change this. And, you know, a lot lot of the time that feedback is also – Apparently, stop being so hard on yourself. Mm. Like, you know, it'll be okay. Um, so I have really, they're my best friends in the world. They're my greatest advocates and they have my back just without, you know, no, just no question. But also I think because of my brother's, Ross's, the oldest brother's um, resilience in chasing his dream, I just think his was the greatest example to be set for me that he just kept going in a sport that there is no money and all those sorts of things and eventually made his debut. And for my other brother in the world of acting and writing, I just find it phenomenal how he's gotten, uh, it's such a brutal industry and I just, I'm inspired by him every day. The fact that he keeps fronting up and he's so passionate to tell stories that matter and, you know, and it's so hard and it's funny at the moment because I've just obviously come out of having full-time work for 14 years of my life and now sort of freelancing and my brother and I have had quite a few sort of entertaining conversations where I'll say, oh, you know, I'm scared because I'm so used to having that security and rah, rah, rah and he'll be like, oh, God, if I get booked for an acting job that goes for four months, I'm like, four months? That's a big <laughs> chunk of time. <laughs> it's perspective, isn't it? <laughs> you have touched on uh, your niece a couple of times now and how that day when she ran out with the, the Frio Dockers as like well, the proudest day of your life. I wanted to ask you about women's footy as a female broadcaster who's come through. How have you, how have you felt about this sort of massive change and how hopeful do you feel about women's footy? Because I feel I don't, I'm not even hugely invested in sport and I feel so, dare I say, like warm when I see this game and all these young women wanting to play underneath it. And I think there's lots of women that feel that way because it's representative of what a lot of us have been through and it's just symbolic of progress I think and I remember and I get goosebumps just talking about it but I remember the first ever game and I was working on radio for it and I did not realize how emotional I was going to be I didn't realize how much it meant to me and at the end of the game I finished my final interview I was with Laura and I now on on the ground and and then I burst into tears I was on the ground and I just burst into tears. And Simon Lethleen, who was in charge of getting it up and running at that time, looked at me and he was like, Nez! And I went, shut up, this is your fault. (laughs) Um, It just, it meant so much. And one of my favourite things about the whole thing has just been women celebrating women. And, you know, having Cara, who wanted to, she surprised Miller, my niece, at, a, at an Oz kick a few months ago when I was back home in Perth. She was just like, oh, I'll, I'll come and have a kick with her, <sighs> you know, and and she just gets it. And so you've got a media person with a footy person and then a younger generation and it's all about supporting each other and lifting each other up and building each other. And I love that. I love that level of just enjoyment of each other and rather than a competitiveness of women being pitted up against each other. What else do you love about your job? What are the highlights of what you do as a career? 
I just, I love sport. Nothing beats it. You can tell me, my, I'm like I, a You kid. literally <laughs> did just light up though. That's the hardest part about podcasting is people can't see when you light up, but you just did. <laughs> is it almost like a religion to you? Because I consider sport almost like a religion to me. No, it's not a religion because I don't, I'm not religious. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a replacement religion. But you chant, no, you will chant. It's, it's just, I think well, the reason why I love sport is because even when it really, really matters, like when it really matters, it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. And that's why I love sport. It's an yeah. escape. It's a dream. It's a, you know, it's everything that at the end of the day, Fremantle losing that flag in 2013, it mattered so much, but it didn't bloody matter. Mm. And that's why we all love it. And that's why I invest so much in it because it's an escapism and it's people achieving their dreams. And it's, uh, yeah, I love everything about it. But the other thing that I love about my job is telling stories and I'm really passionate about telling stories that matter and that are human because I think we're not kind enough and, yeah, and we're not compassionate enough. I think people would just like to judge people instead of understanding that maybe something else might be going on. And I'd yeah. say particularly in sport as well because yeah. there's a lot of judgment and a lot of really critical feedback at the same time that we don't consider athletes as humans even. Like we yeah. forget that they have a similar subset of – scenarios that we all have one story that I love from you we touched on this before you jumped on microphone actually was a story that you told about Brett Deledio's life you interviewed Brett Deledio and you told a story that hadn't been told before what are the interviews that stand out to you now looking back at your time at Fox footy that really made a difference or that just really conveyed emotion and that human element yeah, the the Brett Delidio one, I got probably more feedback on that than than ever, and I think just the timing of it with these two teams, you know, competing against each other, and and a lot of people just had never heard him speak that way. And um, how did he speak? For so for listeners who maybe might be listening in a state where they're not across AFL, who how would you describe Brett Delidio first and foremost, and what kind of story did you tell? So Brett Delidio is now retired, but he was a star for originally the Richmond Footy Club, which is one of the biggest in the country, and so you you know Tiger Army is enormous, and then he ended up moving up to GWS as you know a smaller club or hidden away and and joined them and it was a big story at the time because he was sort of exhausted by footy and then as it turns out Richmond then win the flag you know not long after and and he was the heartbreak story because he was Richmond's great big hope but the story that I told was that the day that he moved to Sydney to join GWS what people didn't know is that his beloved grandfather who was just a such a special person and used to keep the tickets from every game and those sorts of things he passed away when he moved to Sydney and that started his time in Sydney and then he also lost his sister-in-law who had brain cancer and he also lost his auntie who was like a second mum who essentially took over raising him once he moved to Melbourne for footy and then his sister-in-law's son, so his nephew, also passed away at a really young age with an unrelated cancer and that was all in the space of two years. And he went through this whilst also going through more than 30 soft tissue injuries in the same space of time. So he just couldn't get his body right. He was away from home. And at the same time, his old team is going and winning, you know, this flag. And then last year they end up playing in the grand final against each other. And those human, I knew most of that story for quite some time. I knew that he wanted to tell it at some point and I just said to him, you just let me know when you're ready. And that's the thing with me. I was never any good at breaking stories, never any good at it. Sat uncomfortably when I did. I hate it as well. It's why we're here and not like hard news journalists. Because it's like the it's why knocking- I'm unemployed. 
like the knocking down of people's doors that you're just like, you know what, if you don't want to talk to me, don't. And I had to do plenty of it. You know, mm. I was at Channel 7 in Perth at the height of Ben Cousins. You know, I've had to do a lot of that sort of, you know, door knocking and and stakeouts and things and but I it just breaking news never sat comfortably with me and and what's its comfort I always wanted to tell stories and when you're ready to tell them I hope that people trust me to to tell them and then Lids was was one of those cases how do you prepare for an interview what do you do before you go in what did you do before you sat down with Brett Deledio yeah I usually it depends on the context whether it's a fun interview or a meaningful you know those sort of things but I tend to ring sort of half a dozen people whether it's players, coaches, family, you know, friends, just people that will give me, I feel will give me an insight, but also trust me enough that I can call them and ask them. And then, yeah, and then if it if it fits, I'll usually call the actual person as well because I always want them to feel comfortable. And I always say to people before I do an interview, if there's anything that I ask that you don't feel comfortable answering, please just let me know and, you know, and and that that's fine and I've never to this day had somebody do that but I think if you just give people that permission it makes them feel safer and that you're not sort of out to get them or whatever and because I don't want to share anyone's story that they're not willing to share yet I just don't I don't think that's fair it's a like very the gotcha thing. moment is gross as well to feel like someone might sit down you might try and like twist their words or yeah. find a headline out of and it and look I understand there is a lot of journalism where that's really important mm. you know we need people to hold people to account really? But these are sports people. <laughs> They're not criminals. They're not politicians. They're sports people. So I don't, you know, and whilst we're really super passionate about it and it is how we spend our money and a lot of people, you know, spend their hard-earned money to go and support these people, at the end of the day, that they are sports people. Coming up after the break, how do you grapple with losing a job when it's so tied to your personal and public identity? But first, a word from our sponsor. You said that you love telling stories because you think that generally we're not compassionate enough or we're often not kind enough to each other. And I really loved in an interview that you did with Will Anderson, you said one of your core philosophies is if you've got something nice to say, just say it. Do you think this has just always been intrinsic to you or it's also maybe a product of working in an industry that's particularly brutal and you see how much nastiness and trolling can sort of like pervade the internet? I came up with it when I was about 18 and I was working in, in a shop as a just a casual job and there was a lot of hours and a lot of, you know, it was a challenging time because it was a new sort of outlet sort of situation. And, and, you know, it was sort of a bit hectic and I just went, oh, I'm going to try and come up with something nice about every single customer to try and make them feel just a bit, you know, better. And I never wanted to lie. I'll never say a compliment that I don't mean, which often also gets me in trouble because I'll say, hey, I really like your top. And then the other person will be like, oh, what about mine? (laughs) Well, um, but yeah, I decided at that time to try and come up with something nice to say about every person. And then I, I from there, it became an awareness of realizing how many times I thought something nice about somebody, but I just didn't say it because we get scared of sounding creepy or sounding like we're hitting on someone. And and I recently had one where I was I was at the Super Bowl and um and uh, quite a high up person of the NFL at ESPN came. I didn't I, at the time I didn't know who he was. Came up to me and was. He goes, um, hi, Nerily, I'm Mike. I said, hi, Mike, you have great eyes. Because oh <laughs> he did. And he was like, uh, thank you. <laughs> and then the guy there was like, this is Mike. He's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's a big dick. 
yeah. he's like the boss's boss. And I, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not hitting on you, but, you know, you have great eyes. And then the other guy was like, he's going to be on cloud nine all week. <laughs> but I figured, you know, it shouldn't matter whether he's the boss or he's, you know, the guy behind the counter at the hotel. Like, if you have something nice to say, just say it because... I think it's always nice when people do that. But it is funny because because I said that in that podcast, <laughs> I've since had so many people come up to me and say, hey, I just wanted to say I really enjoy it. And I feel like the most passive-aggressive human being trying to get compliments of all time. That was not what I meant. But what a good byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Narely, talk to us about your time at Fox Footy. It ended at the end of 2019, but you spent a decade there. What are your major takeaways from your time at Fox Footy? Yeah. I loved it. And the major takeaways are I got to live out a dream. When I was 14, I wanted to be on the boundary doing television interviews and I got to do that last year and it meant every bit of what I thought it would and even more. Mm. I loved doing that. I loved the people that I worked with. I have so many amazing friends and not just the guys on air but crew. And luckily enough with crew, a lot of those guys are, are freelance. So I've, I've worked with them again throughout the tennis and things like that throughout this year already. But the level of support and love and that came my way from those people and yeah they're just really really good friendships and just a chance to live out my dream. Last year you also jumped onto the footy show for those who are listening who aren't entirely across what the footy show is I will do my best (laughs) to describe it. Or was yeah. (laughs) Or was my apologies. It was like the longest running AFL footy show that existed on our TV screens but it had a very coloured and colourful past and I guess you and the panel that were hired with you were kind of tasked with the job of to quote unquote save the program. It was a new revamped program why did you make the decision to jump on and say you know what spoiler we didn't say it. <laughs> well it was kind of like a glass cliff wasn't it, it? Felt, yeah that you're kind of tasked with the impossible that no one was really going to save the footy show perhaps so my theory in life is try and make decisions based on positive like positive thinking and not you don't need to be naive about stuff but my reasons were that you know, Aussies, Aussies love a pile on and all that sort of stuff, but they love a comeback story more. Mm. And I just figured, well, I may as well give it a crack. And I don't regret it because, which is probably your next question, because the people that I worked with were amazing. And I think that we, we didn't get to do many shows, but the shows we did were really good. Mm. And if you give, if you give that a chance, then who knows what it develops into. But the players who came on those shows and the coaches loved it and they said, we love what you're doing, we want to come back. Unfortunately, there was nothing to come back to. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you live and learn, life happens and you you take you take lessons out of it. And it's very fair to say that 2019 was a feral learning experience. <laughs> I mean, look at how positive you are now. I mean, my next question was actually a far more clinical one. I said to Michelle this morning, I'm so interested in the mechanics of how a show is axed. Like, do you just turn up to work one day and, and everybody's no longer working together? Uh, no, on this particular, it depends. <laughs> I've been a part of a few. But, like um, TV is such a weird beast. On this particular me. occasion, we went into, we were ushered into a room straight away and they just told us they were taking us off air. And on other occasions, what, like a text message or? Um, when before the game was no longer, I found out on social media. What? Um, <laughs> but we sort of had a, an inkling. Yeah, inkling. But yeah, I, that was how I officially sort of heard. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's the industry and that's, it's okay. It's fine. Everything's like, fine. Just keep swimming. <laughs> but it is. I mean, it's such a brutal industry. I mean, my brother and sister-in-law, who's also an actor, we all put on the family WhatsApp. We just started to list the shows that have been cancelled that we've been a part of. 
So I'm in good company. I just figure if you're part of a, a cancelled show, you at least gave something a crack in the first place. Mm. And I'd rather be somebody that gives it a crack than than somebody that's too scared to to try, I guess. Mm. Maybe I'm an idiot. No, because you could miss a rocket ship. Like you could miss jumping on the best thing ever. Yeah. And then you'd have to watch someone else who did take that chance and be like, fuck, I should have done that. Yeah. <laughs> Swearing on air. I was just like oh. really shocked. Right? <laughs> oh, no, we swear here. Oh, you're so taken aback. <laughs> we should have told you this at the start. You could say whatever I'm you want. I'm such a body mouth. Would you like to I let think... rip now and make it <laughs> <up> for last <laughs> time? <laughs> We've got 34 minutes of swear words worth for you. So it's hilarious though because I always say to my friends that the greatest example of the human brain is the fact that I've never sworn on air before because I'm such a body mouth. I couldn't believe fact. that. No, never. To the, to the point that... Um, <laughs> The co-host that I was with in in the states, who you know, they're obviously most of them are quite religious over there and that sort of thing. And and he was so lovely and such a wonderful human being. And off air, I said to him at the end of the week, I'm like, you've dropped more f bombs this week than you have the rest of your life hanging out with me. I was well so done. Proud. But yeah, you, I was like, oh, hello, <laughs> a fun podcast. <laughs> um, Nerily, talk to us about the end of last year when your time at Fox Footy did end. How do you feel now? thinking that it's done and that that door is closed. I'm just really grateful for, you know, 10 years is a long time to be at a place. And I, like I said, have amazing friends and amazing people. And yeah, it was like, it was really challenging. And I'm, you know, I haven't really said much about it, but I was just amazed by the amount of support and love that came my way. Just, I was really, I was blown away actually. People were stunned that you were let go. Like on Twitter, I remember the consensus was very much, what the hell, or if we're going to swear, what the fuck, where did this come from? Did that part surprise you? Because you have such strong fans. And I remember Zara and I were literally sitting next to each other in the office and were stunned that you were let go. Look, life happens. As I say, life happens. And then it's just another opportunity to go again and do something different. So Mm -hmm. I spent the next couple of months traveling and spending time with family. I went to a wedding that I never would have otherwise gone to. I had Christmas with my family for the first time in seven years because I'd always been doing the cricket. So Christmas Day for me in recent times has just been me hanging out with myself on essentially a day off, going to the beach, cooking up the things that I love doing, which people think sounds really sad for me. It was enjoyable it was fun but it was so nice to have Christmas day with my you know my nephew um in Sydney and my parents and my brother and and so I just used it as an opportunity to sort of clear my head I'd been going non-stop for 15 years and really passionate about what I do and I've put everything into my career and every major decision that I've made has been for that so it was just a time to decompress and just decipher a few things and yeah and then and then go again so like you can dwell on stuff and whatever, but at the end of the day, nothing's going to change what's happened. It's happened. And that's what I say. Life happens. And I, I draw inspiration from, you know, from, like I say, from my brother who just gets up and goes again. And I also draw a lot of inspiration from footy players and athletes in general um, because they're I'm 34 and so they're a similar sort of age when they're just told, hey, thanks for everything, but catch. Mm. And, you know, someone like Daisy Thomas, Carlton, who – for people who don't know, you know, played for a really long time, thought he played well enough to get another contract. And then they said, no, nah, sorry, mate, this is it for you. And the way that he handled that publicly, I found really inspiring. So I looked to a lot of those sort of people. And then that was one of the really wonderful things. I got support from the public and family and friends and colleagues, but I also got just so much support from sports people. And I think they really relate to what I went through. And I remember thinking really early days that, 
the beautiful thing about going through something like that. I've always tried to be fairly compassionate as a journalist in the way that I approach things, but this gave me a whole other level of, of empathy and understanding of what it's like to be delisted. So <laughs> yeah, I, can like really, I, get I can really put myself in your shoes, buddy. <laughs> Let's hang up our boots together. Um, is there a mental hurdle that you sort of have to go through when you lose a job that is so tied to like your professional, public and personal identity? I don't think so because I've kind of just always been myself anyway and I'll keep being myself. So that's fine. I've never had a sort of issue of admitting like flaw or vulnerability or those sort of things. I, I think it's important that when you go through things like this, you, you own up and go, yeah, it is hard because you don't want to pretend like it's some Instagram world and everything's perfect or Legoland as Dale Morris always, you know, <laughs> everything's, you know, everyone is happy now and everything's perfect and all that sort of stuff. But I I completely lost my train of thought by going into <laughs> Lego Lego I'm stuck in Legoland. <laughs> I just got all happy in Legoland. <laughs> no, but what about your identity in general when you lose a yeah, job that so you've been that's in for what 10 was, years? Yeah, so what I was going to say is I remember going to a, my friend's hen's party and I'm not going to lie, it was really hard for me for a, a few weeks because like you say, all of all my decision making and so much of what I am is about what I do. And I remember being at a hen's day and I was a bit nervous about going because it was the first time I sort of put myself in a public situation where there were going to be people there who sort of, um, as in the other girls, not people in the public mm. who knew who I was, who we'd met before, but we're not really friends with. And I knew it would be the first thing anyone asked me. And I was a bit nervous about that because I still wasn't in a great headspace. And throughout the day, I just, I gradually had more and more fun. And then I realized and I already knew this but it was just like solidifying it that my friends are friends with me because of who I am not what I do Mm. and what I do matters a lot to them because it matters to me but that's it they they couldn't give a toss what I do for a living and and it was the same realization with all the sports people who were getting in touch with me or coaches calling and and checking in I, I had one coach and I don't think you'll mind me saying it, Chris Fagan from from Brisbane, who called me straight away and then just proceeded to text me every couple of weeks. How you doing? You doing okay? And I just think that's amazing. So those sort of people, I think their support, once again, I met them because of what I do, but they're not friends with me because of that. There's plenty of people that meet and don't become friends. So they're friends because we're friends. Mm. And it was just the way that we met. So, Yeah. It's been a few months now. How are you feeling now? It, did it take time for your confidence to be built back up? Yeah, confidence takes a hit when something like that happens. And like I say, the whole year was, <laughs> was like, it was a lot. Um, <laughs> you must have been tired. Yeah, I was a bit tuckered out. I needed a couple of months off. So, yeah, I took off to Vietnam just to completely get away from everything, really. But now I'm I'm pretty good. I mean, I just went to the Super Bowl, which was phenomenal. So I kind of feel like whatever happens this year, at least I got to do that. That's ma- – yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So that was really, really fun and a massive – and it was even better than I thought it would be. And the people were amazing and just, yeah, brilliant to work with. And I just had a really great time and just laughed a lot, which I do in general, which pisses a lot of people off. A lot of people don't like my laugh. but Especially women's laughter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is that commentary like? Do you let it get to you or do you just think there must be so- – so many edits out there. I'm just not going to worry about it. Um, sometimes it gets to you. The two things that I get the most, um, <laughs> which mostly I just find funny, is the mole on my face. Like, so when I went to the states, for, this is an example that people will say, um, 
One guy said, I can't believe they let you and your mole into the, <laughs> into the country. <laughs> but I find that funny because I'm in no way insecure about the mole on my face. I think, once again, because my brothers when I was a kid used to tell me that Cindy Crawford had a beauty mark and how cool it was that I had one. Mm. So they shaped my thinking of that in such a positive way that I never felt remotely insecure and it was only when I went on television that a few people started pointing it out with the old molly 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 that I was like oh okay cool but I'm still okay with it I think the only time it gets to you is when you're already a bit insecure about it Mm. but yeah the laugh thing some people say oh your laugh makes me want to laugh with you and then other people just say oh my god shut her up she's like a banshee blah 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 But at the end of the day, it's my laugh and I can't do anything about it. I can't stop it. If you listen to my niece, she's got the same one. One of my nephews (laughs) has exactly the same one as a one-year-old, just uncontrollable guttural laughter. My mum's the same and my brother's the same. So I'm like, if you think that this is not, you know, if you think this is put on or whatever, just trust me, I can't stop it. And sometimes you'll see me physically put my hand over my mouth to try and stop it, but it's my laugh. I'd also love to know how many women in the industry haven't received some type of criticism about their voice or their laughter. Yeah. I'd argue it's almost like Erin Molin last year gets criticised for basically everything that she d- says or does and it's very, very much sexist, right? Well, I, I mean, I ha- one of my friends said to me, Nez, if your joy is making them angry, then pity them. Yeah. They're like, if that's the worst thing that people are saying about you, that you're too happy, well, then you're doing you know, okay. Like... <laughs> I'm just too happy. Yeah. It is. It is one of those sort of like, what's the worst thing about you? I'm too happy all the time. <laughs> Your laugh is I mean, I do have like, plenty more things no. that are way worse about me, just quietly. But. List them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Nearly, what are you excited about? What's on the horizon? What is next for you, given the kind of year is an open slate for you? I often say, you know, your best trait is your worst trait kind of thing. And I think that's in life as well. The best thing is anything can happen and it's an adventure ahead of me. The worst thing is it scares the crap out of me. So I think everything in life is kind of that way. And you just have to try and embrace the good and acknowledge the bad without letting it get the better of you. So for me, when I have those anxious moments of that, I don't know what's happening or is this going to be the end of my career or is everything going to turn out? All those sort of dark moments that I just try and take a deep breath and I literally started saying to myself, which once again sounds so cheesy, but I started to say to myself, choose positivity. Just choose positivity. You know, when you when you put those sort of options in front of yourself, it could all end up badly and I'm never going to work again and no, you know, rah, 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 or it could all work wonderfully well and you could live a really happy life and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Just choose positivity because you just don't know and, and otherwise you're just going to waste all this time worrying about, as mum always said, don't worry about it, it may never happen. And it, it's such sage advice, but it's it's harder to do that than you think. So in those anxious moments, I try and write it down so at least I'm getting it out there or I call my brother or, you know, those sorts of things because I think they're the times that you do need your mates. It's when things are not going great that you need your mates. Narrowly, all of this in mind, what is success to you and how you define success in your own life? So people have always sort of said, you know, five-year plan, what are you going to do in 10 years? I've never had that. I've always wanted to know what I wanted to do, but I never had that because I just think if you have that, then you you miss out on 
stuff that comes your way because it didn't fit into your plan and it could be the greatest thing you know like before the game came completely out of the blue for me and I was only on it for a year but it was some of the best memories I've ever had and those guys we're still in a whatsapp group to this day of RIP BTG (laughs) so they're still some of my greatest mates and allies and so I think if you if you're too focused on where you're going you, you miss something else along the way so success to me is embracing embracing the challenge not being afraid of failure and I've learnt because a wise man told me in recent months be kinder to yourself Marilee thank you so much thank you for being so open and for talking to us about everything that you've been doing I know that's been a crazy year for you so we appreciate your time and your generosity thank you for having me thank Thank you. you so much Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Nerily Meadows. If you're left wanting more from Nerily, then I have some great news for you. She is releasing her very own independent podcast in the coming weeks called Ordinarily Speaking. I will pop all the links about that in our show notes so you can keep up to date with when the first episode is dropping. If this is your first time listening to Shameless, then welcome. We do weekly chats with influential people every Thursday and there are so many other interviews just like this one that you'll enjoy. If you scroll back through through your podcast feed, you'll see that last year we sat down with Australian Diamond star Joe Weston to chat about life as a professional athlete. Keep scrolling and you'll also find an interview with social commentator and former AFL player Brandon Jack. I will pop the links to both of those episodes in our show notes. We will be back in your ears on Monday with our regular episodes recapping the week that was in pop culture. Bye guys. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.